This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Time to put on the show. Danny and Gallant with you on a wonderful Monday morning this August 16th of 2021. We're efforting to get Danny right now. This was a nice weekend for the Seattle Mariners. And considering we thought that the season, at least as far as their playoff chances, might be on the ropes given their series against New York and some of the recent struggles. Going into this weekend series, I'm not going to lie, I did not have that much enthusiasm, that much zest for Seattle's upcoming series. Then Friday night happened where you have a walk-off walk from Jared Kelnick at the end after some dubious umpiring, perhaps, a little bit before. And then Saturday night, Danny, they really got our interest back with, I thought, an awesome way to close things out, especially on the heels of a pretty unsatisfactory Seahawks preseason game. You know that moment where the manager comes out to the mound and he signals to the starter that it's a job well done? And sometimes sometimes he'll signal to the reliever, uh, before he gets there to kind of take any suspense out of there. Sometimes he waits to talk to the guy, but he ends up taking the ball from him, and the night is over. I felt like that's kind of the direction things were headed on Saturday night. And this is a metaphor, not an actual scene. (laughs) This is a torturous metaphor. The manager is Seattle City's sports consciousness. The starting pitcher is the Seattle Mariners. And the sports fan came out to the mound... At some point when they're down 3-2 to two to the Toronto Blue Jays and it felt like, oh, we're going to have another one of these games where it's just Ty Francis two-run homer and then just right on offense. But, but you know what? The starter got us to football season. The starter got us to Seahawks football. And some years, we don't even get that from the Seattle Mariners. And then what happened, Paul? The Mariners the starting pitcher in my torturous analogy, went Max Scherzer. And they shouted, no! No! And the manager turned tail and went back to the dugout, and they said, we're not done yet. Luis Torrens hits a three-run homer. Jared Kelnick? Jared Kelnick hit... Well, first, let's let's play let's play Torrens' home run. Because Torrens' home run Runners on the corners, a 3-1. Swing! Socked! Demolished! Out to left! It is back, and it is... Bullpen. I scared my cat. It's a colossal home run from Luis Torrens. Three-run home run. It comes in the seventh, and he puts the Mariners in front, five to three, on a hang time up to the moon. Apologies to my neighbors. I was shrieking like a psycho. And uh, my poor cat decided to run and hide after that. And that was just the first part, Danny. Because the next one? Like, Terenz is the most important, right? And he follows it up with a two-run double in the next inning. So that's really important. What Kelnick did next was ridiculous. Kelnick's home run is absurd here. The 0-1. Swing. Opposite field. High fly ball. Way, way back and back to back. Jacks into the Toronto bullpen. Kelnick, six. 6-3 Mariners. The floodgates are opening up for the Mariners here in the seventh against Richards. Yes, they are. Yes, they did. That Kelnick home run, 
that's more opposite field power than a new rookie has a right to. The Mariners are not they're not going to cede center stage. And I found myself afterward thinking I am much more interested in what happened to the Mariners over this weekend than I am with the Seahawks game in which the starters didn't play. Almost all the start. I guess there's a couple guys. Daryl Taylor was out there and Jordan Brooks, but none of n- the most relevant offensive player who played was Freddie Swain, DJ Dallas. I was way more interested in the Mariners taking two or three from the Blue Jays over this this weekend series and really staking a claim that they are very much still alive. The other guy that we were paying attention to because of the absence of Dwayne Brown is Stone Forsythe. So that was a little concerning too, seeing as he may or may not have gotten Geno Smith killed. <laughs> That wasn't his fault, though, right? Like, I know everybody reacts there to it. There shouldn't be blitzes in a preseason game. However, however. If there, is a, if there is a corner blitz, I don't think that's necessarily his guy. Fair enough. There were actually other moments that were more concerning for me for Stone Forsyth in the game. Right. And there was another play where he didn't know what he was doing on a screen. So back to this series. Yeah, Danny, I went into this weekend series. Uh, I Mike Lefko and I hung out on Friday. Mike wanted to go to a place that had the Mariners game, and I was like, I don't care. I don't need to watch them. And then we go to a place that has the Mariners on, and I find myself pumped up to the point where after last after Saturday night, I decided that I was going to go out to the game on Sunday. Thought about bringing a broom. I wore an American flag T-shirt in case there were any Blue Jays fans there. But that's where I get back to my, what, what am I supposed to feel about this team? Because then it felt like Sunday was a reality check, right? I mean, they take two or three over the weekend, but... Sunday, okay, finally the 13 straight start streak with Logan Gilbert of um, on the hill of three runs or less allowed by the starting pitching. It gets snapped because the Blue Jays' offense is really, really good. And the Mariners' it offense, is really good. it's lacking. But, they, but the Mariners held them to five runs over those first two games. They won two right. or three against... Right. There's, there's, five teams. there's five teams for two spots. And the Mariners admittedly have an uphill climb. I don't know if it's as uphill as most people think, though. They're five and a half games back of two teams that are right now tied for the final two wild card spots. And if this was, they were just chasing, if they were five and a half back of the Jays and and they'd had a chance to leave that weekend three and a half back of the Jays, I would have said that that hurts more. Look, you took two or three. If you win two or three the rest of the way, I think you're going to get in the playoffs. Yeah, if you win two or three the rest of the way, and that's uh, that's going to be a, a huge. But that's not you have to play eight hundred baseball. If you win two or three the rest of the way, I think you're going to make the playoffs. Six sixty seven baseball. I think yeah, yes. venturing towards seven hundred baseball is probably what you're going to have to play the rest of the year. Look, you're going to have plenty of opportunities with series against Houston and Oakland specifically to make up ground in the wild card side of things. I'm at the point right now, Danny, where I feel like they're going to have a winning record at the end of the season. My hope is that they are the last team out. That is my realistic objective and goal is that they are the last team out of the wild card race. Because so I feel they finish as the third of these five yes. teams that are chasing the two spots. Yeah, it, I mean, can you overtake New York and can you overtake Toronto? Because those are the two teams that right now I think you are competing with the most. I think with Oakland and also with uh, Boston or Tampa Bay in the American League East, it's going to be really hard for to catch one of those three teams, I think. I think Oakland's the most realistic shot. Because you play Oakland's, them as much as you do, right. And Oakland's been exceptionally hot. I think they're going to cool off. This is their month. They're relevant, though. Yeah, and, that's and true. Look, I, I made the joke about just get us to football season, and I, I'm, I, I'm a Mariners fan. 
I was in the crowd. I was in the stands in 2014 when it came down to the final day and Felix was starting and they needed a win and they needed they needed the Rangers to beat the A's. They didn't get it. The A's won. They clinched the playoff spot. A couple years later, they went to the second last day of the season. So it's not like they're never here or never rel- – but man, like they, 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 they announced they were not going quietly into the night. And this yeah. is like the fourth time they've dragged themselves up off the canvas this year. I was impressed, and that the seven runs they scored in those final two at bats, the seventh and eighth inning on Saturday night, felt like felt like a real statement. Those are young players. That was Jared Kelnick after he had the walk off uh, walk. Is that what it was? A walk off walk. Walk off walk. Yes, he walked him off with a walk. Waka waka on Friday night, and then he had that clobbered the home run. Luis Torrens with the five runs driven in. Like they're they're they are not they are not politely going into the night after doing an adequate job. They're they're seeking they're seeking to they they want to make themselves relevant and they want to be a part of this playoff chase. I'm trying to think of an apt historical comparison. Is it fair to call the Mariners Rasputin? For those who don't know, Rasputin was this uh, guy who was completely unqualified, who was essentially the advisor of the uh, Russian monarchy in the early 1900s and. He just survived, and no one understands how he survived. Because the Mariners' offense, it's not that good. Their starting pitching is pretty solid, but their bullpen has some question marks, I would say, now that Kendall Graveman's out. And yet, whenever you think that they're dead, they keep getting up. And Rasputin famously, it took about like five or six assassination attempts, attempts to finally take him down. That's what I feel like the Mariners are right now. They are, whenever you think they're dead, oh, here they are again. <laughs> Wait, we said we thought you were gone. It is Danny Gallant. We do have a lot to get to. There was a preseason game with some significant uh, insight into some of the defensive possibilities. Brock Hewitt will be here at 8 o'clock. But first, front page news. This this is the front page. Today's top two stories and why they matter. Every morning at 710, get what you need to know to start your day right now. Oh, man. Colby Parkinson was really getting off on the right foot this year, right? Like, he was someone that had captured a lot, and now we found out that he injured his foot. It's the same foot he hurt last year. A little bit of good news here. He's the the second-year tight end out of Stanford. It's not as bad as last year's injury, so this is going to be weeks and not months. But still, that's a bummer because he was making a strong candidate to be a, a third tight end who was going to be, at the very least, a really, really intriguing receiving target. Those feet injuries can be really nagging. Michael Bumpus has shared his experience with a foot injury with us on this very show. We saw Greg Olson deal with it a couple of years before he came to the Seahawks, too. The only bright side is that he's young and also that it's weeks, but it is, Danny, concerning, I would say, for his chances to play this year because now all of a sudden he's going to have to focus on rehab and, and instead of potentially being a part of the first-team offense. He was the guy that I was really looking forward to seeing the most in Saturday night's game against the Las Vegas Raiders, which Seattle, of course, lost 20-7. to We did not see him in the game, of course. A couple of different injury notes. Phil Haynes, he started at left guard. Seattle didn't play any offensive starters, none of them. Phil Haynes left with an injury. Geno Smith suffered a concussion on the corner blitz that, that Paul was previously mentioning. He came back into the game but eventually left. And D. Eskridge, the, the rookie wide receiver out of the directional Michigan school, is expected to begin practicing this week. I'm excited he's been for out, that. He's been out with a toe injury. He is going to factor in, I imagine, to competitions at returner, mostly at this point in time. 
But I would say as far as being a wide receiver, he's definitely got an uphill battle as far as catching up to Freddie Swain, Penny Hart when he's healthy in that pecking order. He's going to make the roster, obviously. It's just a bummer, of course, that he too has been dealing with an injury. The front page. As Jamal Adams and Dwayne Brown's contracts turn, we didn't get many updates this weekend with the two, but people asked about their two contracts. On Friday, Pete Carroll was asked about Jamal Adams. How possible, Pete, is it that Jamal Adams doesn't play in the open? Oh, I don't, I'm not even thinking about that at all. I don't know. I don't know. I, would, I, I can't even imagine that. So Pete Carroll can't even imagine a world where Jamal Adams isn't playing in week one. Then on Saturday on the Seahawks pregame show, Steve Rabel asked John Schneider about any contractual situations that the Seahawks might be dealing with. I don't know if there's anything more you want to talk about, but with Jamal uh, and... Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Dwayne, uh, yeah, we sorry. don't, we don't, no, Rage, you know what you know, I'm we talking about. Yeah, we don't, we don't get in that. That, that's, uh, there's nothing new to report on there. Uh, you know, we have 21 guys that are in the last year of their contracts, and and uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, we, we look, we all we want to do is win here. We want to win on a consistent basis. We've heard John say that before, mm-hmm. with the multiple players that are in the last year of their contracts. And there was something that came out before the weekend, Danny, that one of the reasons that the Seahawks maybe have some reservations about Dwayne Brown is that if they give Brown an extension, that all sorts of other players are going to start asking for extensions. Well, I don't know that I I buy that necessarily. No, the issue with Brown is 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 age and and how much how long he thinks he wants to play. Like, I, I think those are the two legitimate concerns. Look, I. They're going to extend Jamal Adams. They want to do that. They made it clear. It seems like they're less interested in engaging Dwayne Brown on an extension and would prefer to take that year to year. I think they'll extend Quandre Diggs. Like I, I, I think I think that will happen. The, the The idea that if we give one, we have to give them all. Like that's it, it's more it's more Dwayne Brown's age and the the question of how how long he's going to continue to play. Right, and I get that. I get it, but I also feel like Dwayne Brown has a lot of leverage here. The Seahawks tackle position, it is not strong due to the injuries right now. And Stone Forsythe, maybe with a couple more games of seasoning, he'll look a little bit better. But he, a month from the start of the season, did not look ready to step in for Dwayne Brown. It's going to be a learning experience for him. He's a sixth-round project. He's a huge guy. So hopefully the Seahawks coaching staff can bring him up to speed. That is front page news. We'll now turn the page and get... Buckle up with the professor for our morning drive. John Clayton joins us. John Clayton's morning drive with Danny and Gallant. It's a four-way battle and there's only going to be three spots. Somebody has to go. The first and final word on everything Everything. NFL NFL. from the professor John Clayton. Clayton. They scored 30 points a game. They're the best running team in football. It's John Clayton's morning drive with Danny Danny and Gallant. Professor, we did not see a whole lot of offense in the Seahawks preseason opener on Saturday night. We did see a lot of defensive players in that game. What was your biggest takeaway from the Seahawks' 20-7 preseason loss? I mean, again, because they went with all the backups and all that stuff, and particularly the backup offensive linemen, I think you can see, for the most part, that the backup offensive linemen that were on the field at the beginning of the game, they hadn't played together. And so because of that, they were so limited in what they could do. I mean, you know, here's a team that uh, is running now the Rams 49ers type of 
offense, and they didn't run the ball. They only had like two running plays in the first half. And so everything was in the pass. I know that uh, Pete Carroll said after the game they wanted to see Geno Smith you know, throw the passes and all, all those different things. So you didn't see the offense, and it was just an absolutely bad first half. It looked horrible. But again, it was because of the players that they had on the field. And then they came back and they made it a little bit more respectable in the second half. But, you know, in the end, I thought that, uh, you know, defensively, they did some pretty good things. I thought that they had, you know, as as the game went on, they were able to get a little bit of a pass rush. That was encouraging. Certainly, the cornerback play was uh, reasonably decent and all those different things. But again, the offense, I mean, it just was a no-show in the first half. Professor, I'm going to give you a choice here. Do you want to answer a question about Tim Tebow's blocking or about Trey Lance's preseason game performance? Uh, I'd say Trey Lance's preseason performance. Because let's put it this way. Tim Tebow is a no-show. He's terrible. I mean, they they target him six times. How many catches did they catch in the six times he was targeted? And the answer is Zero. So Jack- not only that, but that wasn't the least impressive part of his performance because he had two. You can't even really call them blocks. Like mm-hmm. it was, yeah, it was, it, it, it was bad. Okay, Trey Lance. Yeah, Trey Lance had an eighty-yard touchdown pass, which people tend to overreact to these things. And I know they're already referring to it as the Trey area uh, down in San Francisco. Did did he do anything to to move the needle on the consideration that he might be an opening day start? No, because I think what you looked at is that you saw a young quarterback who's just uh, not going to be ready to start at the beginning of the season. I mean, because they looked so inconsistent. I mean, sure, he did make a couple of good plays, but also he didn't, you know, it's like he was not consistent. And what you look for for a quarterback, particularly in a team like San Francisco, that wants to try to make a playoff run, you want more consistency. Now, what you're looking at is that he's scary for the future because you can see how much talent he has, how many things he can do. And, you know, it's like, what's what's it going to be like, you know, a year, two years from now, all those different things. But I think right now it's going the way that everybody expected. It's going to be Jimmy Garoppolo. Right. And it does seem at the very least that Kyle Shanahan's slightly more open to the idea of moving to Trey Lance earlier. But it really is more, hey, there's, I guess, a little more competition going on right now. Meanwhile, in Chicago, Professor, we saw Justin Fields also have his first preseason game. And after a rough start, he went 14 of 20 for 142 yards and a touchdown against the preseason. So how much do you put into those statistics? I feel like Chicago has to start opening up the possibility of Fields being the starter under center for week one. Yeah, opening up, yeah. I think that uh, it has to be a consideration, but they're still going to go with Andy Dalton. But, uh, I mean, he looked great. I mean, you know, the problem I have is what you also saw in that game, how bad that offensive line is. Yeah. Yeah, because, again, you know, they they lose their two starters at the tackle position. They're not good at guard. And, uh, you know, Tevin Jenkins hasn't played. And so it's so bad right now they had to sign, you know, uh, J- Jason Peters, who's I think on AARP right now, uh, you know he comes in at the age of like 84 uh, to maybe try to play some left tackle, and so it's like Damn 10 plus million. Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, you know, so Jason Peters had to be signed. So you kind of wonder, are they going to be okay enough to uh, put a young quarterback out there? Sure, it's like you know, it's great to see, and they, and that's the thing is so misleading a little bit about the preseason because, I mean, you're seeing all these guys go against pretty much all backups. 
And so with all the backups, it's like, okay, yeah. are you are we really seeing how good these guys are going to be? So I think they still need to start the season with Andy Dalton, but I don't think there's any question. As good as Fields look running around because, I mean, he was faster than anybody else on the field, and it wasn't even close. He did. He did look exceptionally good. Uh, John, we did see a few more regular players uh, in Seattle's defense. Daryl Taylor mm-hmm. and and Jordan Brooks, who are expected to be starters, were out there. Uh, we, we saw some of the defensive backs we know that are going to be part of the conversation. It looked like Ugo Amadi was playing some safety. W- what did you think of Seattle's defense? Uh, I thought, a lot of good things. I mean, again, I think Akella Witherspoon did some good things, certainly. I thought that, uh, I mean, you can see that uh, Taylor was, you know, it, it's funny because I know that they talked to Carlos Dunlap during the game and all he said is that uh, it's almost like a, a thing with Jadevi and Clowney. It's like, okay, once you make the turn on uh, trying to get past the blocker, so just get get in there, lower down, and get to the sack. I mean, so it's kind of like Clowney where he was getting the pressure, and there's no question about that. He just didn't get the sacks. And so I think that looked encouraging. You know, I thought that, uh, I mean, Alton Robinson was sensational. I mean, he had as good of a game as you can ask. And, you know, it's funny because, I mean, he was out there almost the entire game. You know, Taylor had over 50 snaps and all that stuff. So I thought a lot of the young guys did some really, really good things. But I thought there were so many encouraging things that you could see on defense that uh, that that looked real good. They certainly were on the field for a lot of the game. Yeah, uh, That's for sure. 40 minutes of mm-hmm. uh, possession time for Las Vegas. We, Professor, we saw the NFL's first foray into enforcing taunting in the Colts game this weekend. Uh, Colts running back Benny LeMay was flagged for a 15-yard taunting penalty after a powerful run where he dragged the defense an extra 10 yards. Why do you feel like the NFL is stepping in the way that they are with this? Is it something to do with sponsorship, advertising? It feels like a weird hill to all of a sudden decide that they want to die on this year it's kind of like a safety type of thing because i think what they don't want is you taunt you fight and if you taunt and fight then somebody can get into a fight and get hurt and i think they're trying to do that i think it's a little bit of an overreaction that's certainly every year we've now seen some kind of an overreaction to some of the rule changes but uh you know it's not like they're going to change it they're not going to back down they're going to stay with this and that's just the nature of the National Football League. It's, it seems like, you know, they have to go through every year and create two or three rule changes that's kind of an overreaction, may not necessarily be uh, ready and necessary to do, but that's what they seem to want to do. Professor, it's going to be a busy week. Yeah. We always appreciate you stopping by to get us caught up on everything. We look forward to talking to you tomorrow. That'll be great. John Clayton, you can hear him in the afternoon with Wyman and Bob. That's at 4 o'clock. You can also follow his updates at 710sports.com as he keeps us plugged in. Our training camp coverage presented by Precore Home Fitness. The biggest takeaways from Sunday. Well, Stone being dropped like a rock by Paul. I've got some thoughts on the defense. That's ahead. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Geno Smith got shook. Is that the biggest preseason hit you've ever seen, Danny? Blind side, right square in the back. He got clobbered. He did get clobbered. That made me mad. Like, I'll, I'll admit, and the Seahawks ran a blitz later, too, and I don't know if it was, but there was part of me Retaliatory. that was like, what, what are you guys doing? I get, okay, I, you get, 
whatever. And then I realized I'm probably getting too bent out of shape. It's football. The guy gets a sack and who, who knows what it was. But I was like, okay, running corner blitzes against backup offenses and in, in preseason, like way to go. Like awesome. That's that's great. Get your crowd pumped up for the preseason. That's what losers do. Losers, losers game plan for the preseason. It did feel like there might have been a little game planning going on right there. Poor Stone Forsythe, who is a rookie left tackle being put into that spot, probably was his responsibility. It's a learning experience. Why do you say that, though? Because I don't think it was. I think I think the quarterback's got to... I think the quarterback has to adjust the protection. I would say that Geno Smith is definitely at fault in some way, shape, or form there, too. But I would also imagine that if you're a left tackle, you got to have a little bit more of a degree of field or a field of, yeah, you got to just be able to see the field a little bit better. And if somebody you think is coming off the edge, whatever the case, Stone Forsyth clearly needs a lot of work. I think I, that he's very, very raw right now. I hate the immediate reaction, which we saw. And it's mostly on Twitter, so I'll raise my hand and, and 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 admit that that's where it's coming from. Where people were like, "Dwayne Brown's holdout just got a lot of it." Yeah. Dwayne Brown just paid Dwayne Brown, and I was like, "Okay, I I, I see that." That also feels like really low hanging fruit for a rookie who's starting. They had no offensive starters on the field, none, and and the Raiders were playing their first string defense, and it also looked like they were game planning with those dudes. Forsyth, though, it wasn't just that play. Because a lot of people were reacting right after that play, saying the exact things that you just said. Oh, Dwayne Brown's going to get paid now. There were a couple of other plays where it looks like he was figuring out what he's supposed to do. There was a screen play where I don't think he knew who he was supposed to block. And there was another play, too, where a defensive lineman just beat him, flat out beat him on the inside. Gino was able to get the ball out fairly quickly. A bit of a bummer, Danny, that we did not get to see the up-tempo offense. Pete Carroll was asked why they didn't put that high-tempo offense out there in preseason game number one. We didn't, we didn't even try tonight. We, we didn't do that tonight. We were just playing football. We were just trying to get out there and snap the ball and minimal amount of opportunities that we even try to do it. So we were, we were working on our just getting the huddle called and getting line of scrimmage and taking care of business and just playing some basic football. They had such a difficult time maintaining possession that it would have been really tough for them to actually do that. But I was a little bummed out, Danny. I was hoping, yeah, it's the backups, but a little tempo would have been nice to see in this game from time to time. If you're not going Why? to throw any, well, you're not going to throw any complicated plays out there, are you? Why would you? Why would you have any? But I mean, I. I... Why Why would you give people an idea of what it's going to look like, even if it's your backups? Well, you're practicing in a game situation, and you don't have joint practices. So I, I, that's the main reason. It's just to practice in a game situation. Otherwise, I, I'm with you. In the, the How much does it really hurt the Seahawks? Not that much. If I found myself having more questions about the defense and not the offense, because those were the players. There were guys on the field for the defense that you're expecting or hope will make an impact. The most significant offensive player who played, we decided, was Freddie Swain, right? right. Like I was DJ Dallas. I mean, that you're you're having to go pretty. You're watching a lot of players who will not be counted on play an offense that you won't expect to watch. And I don't know how much of an advantage you would get from having guys you don't expect to play run through. Yeah, that's fair. What what what? How you expect to play in the upcoming season? I'm not 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 disagreeing with you. I would have liked to see a little bit of it, but you're right. Especially if these are a lot of young players and you're putting them in a game situation for the first time. How how crisp do you think that's going to look? Probably not so much. So you mentioned the defensive questions, Danny. Where 
Where were you most concerned? Did it did it have anything to do with the cornerback position? Yeah. So there were two things. The first being Trey Flowers gave up a long pass down the sideline to Zay Jones, number seven. And I immediately thought, okay, that's Trey Flowers. Like, that's that's the Trey Flowers. I think Trey does a lot of things really, really well on defense. And I think he has a really hard time. Like, the thing he does and needs to improve on most, and it's been true for three years, is when his back is to the quarterback and the ball is in the air. Either completing the completion or stopping the pass from being completed without making a foul. He fouls and he gives up plays over his head. And it's a bad combination for a quarter, a corner in Seattle's system. I, I Watching the replay, it was a really well-thrown pass. And I'm not sure if it's, if it's a realistic sort of, hey, that was bad coverage by him. Because he didn't make a, he, he, did not, he did not foul, he did not draw a penalty. And a good throw and great catch are, are, are going to beat even the best corners. So that was my first reaction. And the second one, and I need to ask some more questions about this. I did wonder if Akella Witherspoon was willing to put his nose up in the line of scrimmage and run support. You have to be able to tackle as a Seattle corner. Yeah. Like you you have to. You and Richard Sherman and and Shaquille Griffin probably didn't get enough credit for the way they did it. You have to get up when when running plays go wide, the corner has to be able to tackle. And I came away wondering if that's if that's something that they're going to have to have to drill into Akella Witherspoon's head. This is, I think, one of the problems as far as Witherspoon goes that comes because of the way that training camp practices have changed. <clears throat> and if you go back in time, I mean, weren't the Seahawks known for having these really hard practices? I don't know if guys were getting hit full contact, but I would imagine that there was a lot more physicality at those practices. So when you add that there's barely any tackling going on at practice or in the mock game and all of a sudden you're in a real game situation and it's a fake game too – I can see why maybe Witherspoon was not as 100% in it. I, I got some of the same vibe that you did there, and I don't like that. I, I, corners, you have to come up. And Trey Brown, you're right. He was the one that was willing to do it. Ugo Amadi, too. Ugo Amadi was all over the place. That was uh, interesting. He was playing at safety. He was playing at nickel corner from, from time to time. And, it, and it, it changed very quickly on the first two drives defensively for the Seahawks, where you saw him at safety, but you also saw him playing at the nickel spot, too. I wondered about that. He did. He was their starting free safety. Yeah, and and Marquise Blair did not play, so you, you it's hard to read into. Right. But it was it was Ryan Neal and Ugo Amadi who were out there, and Ugo's Ugo's been a corner, so I it's possible that they're looking at him at safety a little bit as well. That they're gonna they're gonna see how how he might fit in that spot. But I was surprised to see that. Uh, to go back to what you were saying about Trey Flowers, he was in the right spot. His mm-hmm. big problem is that. There are some defenders who are good with their back to the ball of actually playing the ball. And, I mean, he did everything else right on that specific play Tuesday, Jones, who for whatever reason was just a monster the first couple of series of the game for Vegas. But, yeah, you got to get that hand up more quickly or, or, or something. And, and I'm curious as to how he will attack this in his next opportunity. I'm not sure if better coverage would have stopped that throw. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, not yeah. sure. I'm not sure. But that was it. Was the same template. It's the same sort of thing that right. we've seen, which is he gets his back turned and he can't. He, he either fouls or he, he gives up long completions. And that was a long completion he gave up outside the numbers, which tends to be sort of one of those. If, if you're going to play corner in Seattle's defense, you have to be able to turn and run with dudes, and you can't get beat over the top. Pete Carroll did like what he saw defensively from a couple of defensive linemen. We finally saw Daryl Taylor in action, Rasheem Green, and Alton Robinson. Here's Pete weighing in on the trio. 
You could feel Alton in, in Rashim too. Thanks for bringing him up. And uh, the, all of those opportunities for Daryl is it's just going to help us. I don't know who they're rushing against and necessarily, you know, what, what level they were of their players, but still our guys just got to play football and they worked hard at it. Uh, you know, we give up one sack on the night. We throw the ball about close to 30 times. That's a big improvement for us. And uh, first time out um, with the number of cubes out there playing. And uh, we had four sacks. So that's that's a good start in that regard. We wind up plus one and lose. I, you know, that just never happens. We are 12 and 0 last year, you know, when we're plus, even a plus. And so um, that's just a rare occurrence that, that that happened like that. Robinson played well. I thought Rasheem Green was the best player on the field for the Seahawks in this game. Rasheem looked good. He was Rasheem really good. looked very good. It's Danny and Gallant, 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up next, where are the Mariners going to add this offseason? Because their lineup clearly needs a boost. We'll talk about that next. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. We'll get back to the Mariners preseason game. 8 o'clock with Brock here at Blue 42. If you want to text in some questions to 710-710, you can do that now. It's powered by Mac and Jack's Brewing. Our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. The Mariners win two of three against the Toronto Blue Jays. And while they didn't sweep the series, and they're still five and a half back, from one of the two wild card playoff spots that are that are available, they certainly showed that they're they're going to continue to be frisky over these final month and a half of the season at the at the very least and bear watching. Also, giving us some questions long term. Abraham Toro, you remember him, the guy that everybody was mad Seattle acquired for Kendall Graveman. He's good. He's hitting three fifty since the Mariners acquired him. No big deal. He's hitting three fifty in that two and a half weeks. Pretty good, man. He is firmly ensconced. Or lodged himself in that debate. The Mariners are going to have an interesting question going forward. Ty France is an everyday bat. Abraham Toro is an everyday player. You've got a DH spot. First base, though that's probably occupied by Evan White in the future. Second base is open. Question at third base. Kyle Seager's in the last year of his contract. He might not be back. Throw Luis Torrens in this, who drives in five runs on Saturday... And you've got a number of spots that are open with some positional versatility among guys that you're expecting to fulfill those spots. What do you want this infield and this lineup to look like going forward? I'm probably moving Toro over to third. I, I think I'm the same way. I, I think I think that's my inclination, is that let's put him at third, and whether or not, look, Kyle Seeger's going to have, I mean, he might drive in 100 runs for the first time in his career, and he's got significant pop, but his his average is south of 220 at this point. If he's gone, I, I would agree with you. We put Toro at third, fix it and forget it. Does he stay there? I think so. There is still a part of me that wants to at least make a phone call to Kyle Seeger because I don't think that you would end up paying him the kind of money that he has earned in the past. He did have a home run yesterday. I mean, yep. for the average issues, his defense is good, and yep. his bat is, at the very least for now, I think, a plus. It's got power. So I think I make a phone call to Kyle Seager, but I don't know that Seager... I, I guess I'm operating under the assumption that Seager doesn't want to be here anymore. I don't know if it's that he doesn't want to be here. I don't think he's going to take a pay cut to stay here. Mm, I guess okay. that's my feeling. If it becomes a, we're going to give you what the market rate is for a third baseman of your skill set, I, I think he might end up going somewhere else. Okay. And I'm certainly not going to give him a raise. If if he's gone, do, do you do you then just place 
do you do you place Toro at third, and then what do you do with Ty France? Because yeah. third was one of the considerations for him. France, I'm keeping at first. Uh, if you're taking a look at the numbers for him defensively, only so much stock you could put into them, Danny. But they've been they've been pretty impressive. He hasn't been a liability at that spot, and maybe he's not a Gold Glover like Evan White. But do you need a Gold Glover at that first ba- first base spot? I think first base is a good spot for him for now. Now, if all of a sudden he starts to play horribly in there, okay, well then I guess you hope that Evan White can actually get things done next time around, and that's somebody that you would slide in there. And then I look at second base, and I don't know what to do there. I mean, I know Dylan Moore has played there. I know Shed Long has played there. Neither of those guys have hit well enough to justify that spot going Agreed. forward. You give them a chance to clobber their way back into the lineup. But I think that this year, Dylan Moore has shown himself to be a really good utility guy. But he is kind of your defensive replacement, jack-of-all-trades, can run really well. He's, he's, he's your classic utility guy. Ty France is someone who's bad is in there every day. If you don't know what to do at second base, would you put Ty France at second? I don't know. And then have Evan White at first? Well... I mean, you'd be better at first, but don't you want someone with more range at second? Don't you want someone who's a yeah. little bit more adept? France lumbers yep. around. He's not, he's not mobile. So, I, I don't know. I don't think I could put him at second. And then we get into a weird spot. I mean, there are a couple of guys that I think we're planning on being here fairly soon, but how soon is fairly soon? Like, Noel V. Marte is killing it at double A, but he's yeah. 19 years old. And then after- he's, st- he's still in single A, though, because he's still down with the nuts, right? Yeah, he's too far off to to be able to project him. He's not going to be here next year. You you might get Julio Rodriguez late next year, but that's a that's that that's a, that's a corner outfield spot. I I think you've got a DH position. Here's the here's the challenge for me. Ty France's bats in the lineup every day. Can he be someone that you play first base one day, second base the next, and DH on other spots? Does he get more settled in? Like that's that's a consideration that that, that you'll have to figure out as it goes. Luis Torrens, he's shown enough pop in his bat that he's a consideration. Like he can he he's he, he's a good enough bat that there's an argument to be made to give him some time at DH. I think his biggest value is at catcher. I just don't know if he's going to catch here. Right. And and I wasn't blown away with his with his catching style. I think he could be a, a candidate to be moved. I'm kind of surprised he d- didn't move at the at the trade deadline. My my assumption is you're going to have Evan White at first base because you don't have you're not so loaded that you've got someone who is White's defensive equivalent. Playing him doesn't mean you won't play Ty France. I, if there's a question between the two of them, you play Ty France there. But I think you can get France in the lineup and on the field at a different spot. And and you're gonna you're gonna want to see what White is like not hurt. Yes, that's true. You can't totally wave the white flag on him, especially with the investment that you made in him. I think you can't also- even start waving the white flag. You can't even think about it. I don't even want you thinking about wave, waving the white flag. He's got he's got two years and one of those years he's been hurt. I'll keep it to myself then. <laughs> as far as Kyle Lewis, who took some batting practice, actually hit some home runs on Friday. He's also somebody that I think is going to get a lot of time at the designated hitter spot. And, you know, that just might be a rotational position for the Mariners where they're putting somebody in there every single night that is different. I mean, because you mentioned Luis Torrens. Uh, There will be nights where I imagine you put Jake Fraley in the outfield either for a – Kyle Lewis or for a Mitch Hanniger or something like that too. So 
designated hitter it does ha- give them a little bit of that flexibility, but they have to probably go after somebody who can legitimately play second base to straighten things out. I would say probably that's the number one target right now because no matter what you think about Shedlong or, or Dylan Moore, yeah, that's, those are not everyday guys at that spot. I think I'm putting Ty France there. And if I'm not putting France there, then I'm I got no better it, solution. Him, him at third and, and having it there. Here's the one thing I do not want. I don't want them moving J.P. Crawford at all. I don't want them messing a bit with J.P. Crawford, and I don't think the Mariners are interested in that. There's going to be a lot of talk about Carlos Correa, a lot of talk about Marcus Simeon, who was here in clobbered home runs over the weekend, a lot of discussion about Corey Seager, though I think that that Trevor Story, I do not want them signing someone to play shortstop and moving J.P. to second. J.P. is a gold glove shortstop, and while he might not have the power of those guys, he's that important to this team in the spot where he is. So I, I, it's I don't know, be man, though. If, if, like, you know, you want to respect Crawford and put him there, but if you can get a great shortstop and move Crawford over to second base, doesn't this team look so much better? Crawford, Crawford, Crawford is a great shortstop. Crawford is an incredible fielding shortstop. Okay, what, 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 if you, what if you get, like, do you think you have a chance at any of the big buck? If you paid any of them, yes. Bats. I do not want okay. to pay any one of those guys to come and play shortstop. Right. Not one of them. Not one of them do I want to pay to come and play shortstop. I'm tempted. I'm tempted. It's Danny and Gallant. We'll bring in Brock Heward next. That's Blue 42.